Tony started uh, Sunday school with jokes today. And I'm not a good joke teller, but I do have a story to tell about this past week that happened to me. So uh, our kids, uh, Brandon and Crystal Leach, they were on camp, went to camp this year, uh, this last week down to uh, North Carolina. And they took Maya along with them as well as several of the youth from First Baptist Church. And so my, uh, Malachi, our youngest grandson, was staying with us, and also staying with us was two of their dogs. So Della is a little French poodle, and she's just adorable, very quiet, uh, kind of stays hidden most of the time, not real outgoing. And then there is Pancho. <laughs> Pancho is the little dachshund, or wiener dog, as we used to call him. So he has to get into everything. And he is so curious, he has to try to go into every room. And so, of course, we try to keep all the rooms locked so that he wouldn't go in there. But for the most part, they're very well-behaved dogs. So we're sitting watching TV one night, and uh, behind our TV, we have a closet area where we store books and different things like that. I noticed that the door was open. I thought, oh, no. And so here comes poncho out from the back and I think what what in the world has he got because it looks like he's got something trying to chew on it and so I go and I, I pick it up and I try to take it away from him and I realize it's a glue trap you know what a glue trap is right so you put him you put him down for mice and the mouse gets on there can't they can't get away and so he's got this glue trap and I'm trying to pull it away and then I realized why he wanted the glue trap. There's a dead mouse on it. So we spent several minutes trying to get the glue trap off because he's a furry kind of animal. And it was not easy. So it's so disgusting. Now that's all you're going to think about instead of the sermon, right? Glue trap. Wouldn't it be great if we could use glue trap for a Christian? You know, as an evangelism tool. I don't know. But I hope you have your Bibles with you today. If you do, turn to Romans chapter 8, uh, starting with verse 28. We're going to be talking about assurance of salvation today. And so, so far we have gone through uh, all of the assurances except this one. So this is going to be the last in this series on the assurances that Christians have. We've already talked about the assurance of forgiveness that we have and what a blessing that is. Amen. What a blessing it is to know that when we come to Christ, that his sacrifice on the cross has paid for all of our sins and that even when we do sin as a Christian, we can have forgiveness simply by going and confessing that sin. And so just a wonderful blessing that we have that assurance of forgiveness. And then we talked about how as Christians, we have assurance of answered prayer. Not necessarily, and we talked about this, not necessarily that he is going to answer all of our selfish prayers because many times let's admit to ourselves our prayers can be selfish and they're all about us and less about the kingdom of God but we found out that when we pray according to his will when we do the hard work of getting into the Bible determining God's will for our life and we pray in that way then we can be sure that he answers our prayer and remember there's no prayer that is too small for God and there is no prayer that is too large for him. He can handle all of those. And he can handle them all at once, right? 
So all of us could be praying at the same time. Everyone in the world could be praying at the same time. And God is still able to handle that. And he does promise that he will listen to our prayers and that he will answer them. Sometimes the answer may be wait. It's not time for me to answer that prayer. Sometimes the answer may be uh, yes. And sometimes the answer just may be no, right? But that's an answer. And he does all of that for our good. Then we talked about God's uh, assurance that he gives us in victory and victory over our sin. And I know so many people struggle with this. I struggle with this. Can God really give me the assurance that I will have victory over my sin? And we looked at the scripture, and yes, God will give us victory over our sin if we go to him and ask for help during our time of need, and if we will flee away from that sin. And so God does give us uh, his assurance of victory over sin. And then the last time I spoke, he gave us, uh, we talked about the assurance of God's guidance. God has given us the Holy Spirit, and I appreciate uh, Anita's uh, comments in Sunday school of following the Holy Spirit and his leading because God has specifically given us that Holy Spirit as a friend, a counselor, uh, to bring to light the word of God to us so that we might know the way in which we are to go. And so today, finally, we're going to be talking about assurance of salvation. And sometimes you may have heard this as referred to as eternal security, the eternal security that we have in Christ. Uh, a little bit older way of saying the same thing, but it is doctrinally sound, especially it's listed this way in our statement of faith is that we are going to be talking about the perseverance of the saints because that's where our assurance comes from is our persevering through the christian life and god will give us the power and the authority to do that as well and so we're going to go ahead and read this scripture and get into it so if you would all please stand for the reading of the scripture romans 8 28 through 30. And this is Paul, of course, writing in the book of Romans. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the words that you've given us today. We know that the book of Romans is a, a majestic work, and we're just looking at a small part of it here today. So we pray that you would help us to remember the context of this book, that he is speaking of the sovereignty of God over all things, and that he is talking about how he is able to, to work even the most, uh, the worst situations out for our good because he is a God who is able to do that. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for these words. We pray that you would help us to understand how we can be saved once and never lost and what that means and what it doesn't mean. And so open our minds, help us to understand 
all of these things. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So this scripture that we have read here today is an important one. Sometimes it's called the golden chain of salvation. And if you'll notice, there's several different statements that are kind of linked together, right? And I, I, I say that they're linked together because one depends upon the other and it forms an unbreakable chain the way it's written in here. And so just as a reminder, it says that God foreknew some people, his people, that he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, he predestined and he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so what this verse, I believe, is intended to show is that God has a plan for our salvation. Amen? He has a plan for our salvation. He has a process, you might even say, for our salvation. And that involves him foreknowing who his people will be, predestining them to be like his son. It involves him calling us to himself. It involves... Uh, justifying him, us, once we believe. And it involves glorifying us, which, which means that we will ultimately be with him in heaven and will be glorified. And so I may have got a little bit ahead of my, myself, but I want to go back and just emphasize the main point of what we're trying to talk about here today. And so you can see it on your handout. If you have a handout, one of those things that you're going to be writing your notes down onto. But the main point is that those who have truly, and I emphasize truly, placed their faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation cannot be again lost, but by the power of God's Spirit, they persevere in their faith to the end. Can I get an amen for that? Yes. Can I get? Yep. That's a true statement. That's a true statement. It may be a long statement, but I, hopefully by the end of this, we'll be able to understand it all together. So why is it important that we know that once we're saved, we cannot be lost again? Well, it's, it's good for us to know during times of adversity, right? During times of adversity, we're looking for things that we can hope in. Has anyone been in times of adversity the last couple of years? We all have, right? We've been in times of adversity. Some of it has been with the COVID uh, pandemic. Some of it has been with loved ones who are failing in their health and they need our help. We've been through all kinds of adversity. What do people look to during times of adversity? They need some bit of hope that they can place their trust in. And this salvation that we have is that hope that we have the hope that as bad as it may get in this world we know that we're going to have an eternal resting place with God and nothing can change that nothing can change that and so a lot of it is of the importance of knowing that we cannot lose our salvation is that we can know peace in our life now I know probably most of you have been raised in the Baptist tradition so the, the uh, doctrine of eternal security is probably not something that is new to you. But if you're like me and was brought up in a different tradition, at least very early I was brought up in the Methodist tradition, 
this was not something that was taught. It was taught that you could lose your salvation. You could lose your salvation by committing a sin. You could lose your salvation supposedly, I guess, by even having a wrong thought. And you can imagine what kind of turmoil that might put into your life if you're really concerned about your sin. Because I don't know about you, but I've, I've, been, a, I've been a believer for, I don't know, 50 some years, something like that, 40, 47 years, something like that. And I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with sin in my own life. Now it may not be in your face kind of sin, but I know that there's still places in my heart where Christ has not been given 100% control. And I want to do that and I, I do that every day. But ultimately, we know that we sin every day. And if you could lose your salvation every time you sin, you'd be losing your salvation every day. The funny thing about different churches who believe that way is they believe that you can repent and be saved again. But I never see any second baptism, third baptisms, fourth baptisms. Um, so I'm not too sure how serious they are about that. But I wanna tell you that it is essential it's not just something that gives us peace, but it's something that is essential that we believe because of the glory and the majesty and the might of our God. We want that to be known. He is the Lord of salvation. And when he starts out to save someone, he does not quit on them. He follows it all the way through. As much as we are committed to him when we give our life to Christ, he has committed himself to us and so we will ultimately be saved I was thinking about this question actually coming here today but if you had to say what your salvation was based on would you say it's based on God or would you say it's based on yourself if it's based on yourself if that were possible to, to save yourself, then I would say, yes, you could lose your salvation because we cannot live completely holy and completely up to God's word. We fail in so many ways. But if our salvation is based upon God and what he has done, then we can have assurance of salvation, amen? amen. We can have assurance of salvation if it's based upon God. He will never forsake us nor fail us and so we can't we can know that we can we can know that we can will be saved and eventually make it into heaven and the reason we say that is because scripture says that so first john 5 11 to 13 you don't have to turn there i'll just read it real quick but listen to it carefully this is this is john speaking he says and this is a testimony that god gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The scripture right there says that if we have the son, if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, the son's presence in us through the Holy Spirit, that we can know that we have eternal life. And that 
knowing and that relationship with God comes through believing in his name. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So it's all about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, of knowing him personally, of believing in his name. And of course, we've talked about this before, a person's name really means something in the Bible. And so, for instance, Jesus comes from the Hebrew word, which means savior. Emmanuel, which is another name that Jesus is called, means God with us. And so salvation means believing in the name of Son of, of God. It means believing that he is the Savior, Jesus. It means believing that he is the Master and Lord, that he is the Son of God. The truly saved, or another word for the truly saved, the elect, those chosen cannot be lost. Amen? You believe that? <laughs> Hopefully you will believe that by the end of this, if not before. We do have to admit that there, and we see this in our world, but we also see it in scripture that there are false professions of faith, which look as though people are saved, but they truly are not saved. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. Listen to this scripture. In 1 John, it says, they went out from us. This was a group of people who left the church but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So everyone who comes into a church building is not necessarily saved. Everyone who's a membership on the membership roll is not necessarily saved. We do the best we can when someone wants to join the church to counsel with them, to make sure that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they follow that up through baptism. But even my son Tyler, who was baptized at an early age, uh, realized that he had not truly believed until he was a later, at a later age. And hopefully he's gonna be baptized here in the next few weeks. So it's clear that there are people in the Bible, there are people even in our communities who make professions of faith and they look legitimate, but they leave the church, they leave the faith. And according to scripture, it says, this was made known that, they, that it might be plain that not all who profess to be Christians are Christians. And I'm adding a few words in there for clarification. So we have to, we have to be wary of that. So the old saying, once saved, always saved, is true, but I always put a little tagline on the end of it. Once saved, always saved, if saved, if truly saved, right? Amen. We must truly be saved. We must truly place our faith and trust in Christ. We must understand what that means. That means surrendering our life. There must be a heart change. It's not just the head that changes the mind, but it's a heart that changes its affections from ignoring God to now embracing God and wanting to be obedient to him. Ultimately, the reason that we can know that we are saved and have the assurance of salvation is that our salvation is rooted in the sovereign plan of God to save his people. 
Our salvation is rooted in the sovereign plan of God to save his people. We'll read this one more time from Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his good pleasure, good, his purpose. That verse is actually describing for us what a true Christian is, right? Those who are called by God, and we know that for those who love God, they love God. They are called according to his purpose. Those are the ones that are um, the people of God, those who have believed. He goes on, he says, for those whom he foreknew and he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he called and those whom he called he justified and he also glorified. Once again, the language of this verse makes it plain that each one of these key points are linked together in a chain that cannot be broken. If God foreknew you, then he will predestine you to be conformed to the image of his son. If he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son, he will also call you. If he called you, then he will also justify you. And if you are justified, then you will also be glorified. That's the way it works. Actually, the assurance of salvation is rooted in the sovereignty of God. Amen. God justifies us. Justified is another word which means saved. It actually means to be declared innocent of our sin. We are guilty. We know that we are guilty, but we are declared innocent because another person has taken our sin upon him, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But God justifies, he saves us completely through the first genuine act of saving faith, but this is the sort of faith that perseveres and bears fruit in the obedience of faith. I know that's kind of a long statement. Let me read that again. God justifies or saves us completely through the first genuine act of saving faith but this is the sort of faith that perseveres and bears fruit in the obedience of faith. In other words, a true faith will always lead to obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and perseverance. Our faith will endure to the end if we are to be saved. I'm a firm believer in this. I'm not a believer that someone can profess to know Christ and leave the church and then we never see him, they never profess Christ the rest of their days. I, as a pastor, could give them no consolation, no assurance of their salvation. I would take them back through the gospel message and say, are you believing and trusting in Christ right now? That's the criteria for you if you, if you are saved. Are you believing and trusting in Christ right now? It's not going back to a certain date. It's are you believing and trusting in Christ right now? If your answer is yes, then I can give you assurance. And God will give you assurance that you are saved. You see, it's a quality of faith, not just a quantity of faith. We must have the quality of faith. We must, in fact, have the faith that God gave to us. So it's not a faith that we gin up from the inside. 
It's the faith that is give, given to us. And it's a faith that is tested by fire. We see this testing. You felt this testing in your life, I'm sure, as you struggle through life sometimes. But there is a testing of faith, of the true faith, to show that it is true or to show if it is, if it is false. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Those words could kind of upset us, right? Believing in vain, can we actually believe in vain? According to Paul, there is a belief which is in vain, and that is the faith which does not result in obedience in Christ. We know from the book of James that faith without works is dead, right? It's a dead faith. It's not a saving faith. We must hold fast to the word that he preached to us. Matthew 13, 20 through 22, I'd like to read that for you as well. It talks about the rocky soil and the different soil types. This is Jesus giving a parable to us. He says, for what was sown on rocky ground this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was th sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the word and this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it pro proves unfruitful. These are all examples of people who have had some kind of belief, but they produce no fruit. And then of course we know about the seed that's planted in the fertile soil, it produces a crop. There must be fruit in our life, it's clear. There must be fruit, there must be obedience. If we're to have assurance, we should be able to look at our life and see that fruit and obedience in our life. Colossians 1, 21 to 23 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you hear, that you heard, which was been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You continue in the faith, he says, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. We are not to shift away from the gospel. To do so would, to set, would be to say that our faith was not from God, that it was not a true faith and it was never truly saved. I know these are hard verses, but they're also good and encouraging verses as well. Obedience is a sign of being a new creation and is present in those who are, who are and will be finally saved. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone for with holiness, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The idea of that verse is that we strive in our sanctification, 
are becoming holy. And we must do this because it's required that we be holy. It says that we must have a holiness without which no one will see the world, see the Lord. 1 John 2, 3 through 6, and by this we know that we have come to know him. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, in Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I don't know how that could be any much clearer. But there is a, there is a faith which is not a true faith. It may be a, a knowledge of Christ and what he's done on the cross for us. It may be even acceptance that he did those things, but there's no embracing of it. There's no change of their heart which leads them to obedience. All true Christians will have a desire to be obedient. And that means we should be in God's word, right? We should be looking in God's word for what he's telling us to do, how we are supposed to act. <coughs> Thankfully, we all have 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are not in any way as Christians sinlessly perfect, but we do have a lifestyle of confession and repentance, which we have talked about many, many times in the past. So how can we be assured that we are saved? Well, we believe and trust in Christ, but we also realize that God works through his Holy Spirit to cause his elect to persevere in their faith. Perseverance in the faith is not something that is thrown completely upon us and we must do this work apart from the empowering work of God. No, God will empower us through the whole way. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that such a reassuring verse, isn't it? And this is why I talk about our commitment to God, but just as we commit ourselves to God and surrender our lives to him, he is committing himself to us. And he is going to see us all the way through this life in faith. He will never leave nor forsake us. He will always be there for us, helping us. It's, it's even more clear in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says there, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We are to work out our salvation. We're, we are to work for our sanctification, for becoming like Jesus Christ. But he doesn't leave it there. He adds verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's good news. <laughs> That is really good news. We are to persevere in the faith, but it is not us doing it alone. It is God coming alongside, and he is actually doing it through us 
It is his work. He gets all the credit for it. He gets the, all the honor for it. But it is God working in us to bring us to that place of holiness. And it's all for his good pleasure. There's so many examples in the Bible of where God has been faithful and we have not been faithful. Probably none more relevant to this than the Apostle Peter. Remember the Apostle Peter? Remember the disciple Peter? And um, I just remember his character. He was always the one to step out first and say something. And he even put his foot in the mouth a few times and had to be chastised by the Lord. And then the Lord, on the night before Jesus was crucified, he told Peter that he was going to deny him three times, right? Before the cock crowed in the morning. And that came true. And Jesus had earlier told him, remember what he told Peter? He said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. In other words, Satan had asked the Lord, if he could take Peter and run him through the mill, so to speak, have his way with him. And remember what Jesus said? He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. That is why we cannot lose our salvation. <laughs> Jesus, our advocate, Jesus, the one who is representing us before God, is praying for us that our faith will not fail. And we may fall into temptation. We may do things that are, a Christian should not do, but our faith will not fail because it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to go home and read the book of uh, Romans, at least the sixth chapter, read that chapter, because there it talks about our salvation as being united with Christ. And I always picture it by interlocking fingers. And this is the way we are saved. We are locked in with Jesus Christ. And he definitely has his hand on us and is not going to let go. But essentially, folks, the only way we could lose our salvation is if Jesus were to die. He's not going to die. He is eternal. He is risen from the dead. He's never going to die again. He never has to go back and die for our sins. He's not going to die for his own sins. We are forever united with him, and he is not going to let go of that. Amen. And he is going to cause our faith to persevere. And so Jude 1, 24, 25, which we just read in our study on Wednesday night, we mentioned this and how it would apply today. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. An earlier verse in Jude says that he is the one who keeps us. And this verse says the same thing. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of the glory with great joy. Jesus will keep us from stumbling. He has held us by the hand. 
And so we as believers should be zealous to confirm our calling and our election. We need to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says it very plainly. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. When's the last time that you've done that? Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? We are to test ourselves. In other words, we're to ask ourselves questions. Am I truly believing and trusting in Christ? Have I truly repented of all of my sin? Am I truly being obedient to God? The book of James says, don't deceive yourselves. Don't merely, do, don't, don't merely uh, read the word, but do what it says. And so we must test ourselves. We must test our calling and our election. Peter, in his book, 2 Peter says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must examine ourselves to see whether we truly have been called from God and we truly are a part of his people. Now, it may seem as though I'm saying that persevering is something that purchases your salvation. But that's not what I'm saying, right? You understand the difference, right? I'm not saying you have to persevere in order to be saved. I'm saying that if you are saved, one of the gifts of that salvation is that you will persevere in your faith. So please notice that different. I'm not talking about working for our salvation. I'm talking about him doing something in our lives that really will make a difference in this world. People are wanting to see whether we are genuine or not. They're wanting to see if this Jesus is real. Can he really empower someone to live a holy life? You know, I believe the answer to that is yes, even though it's very difficult to do. I, you know, I, I confess it's difficult to do. But I believe Jesus is able to do that. And one of the reasons I say that is because I'm going to close with this statement that perseverance is a community project. We need the church. Amen? Amen. We need the church. That's what this church is about. We're to worship God, obviously. We're to praise God in the midst of church. But we're also to hold each other accountable in a loving way so that we can all persevere in the faith until the end of our life. In other words, we should allow no stray sheep in the church without contacting them or at least speaking to them about that. So I close with this statement or question, I guess it's a question. Do you know today that if you have been do you know today that you have been reconciled to God and are saved? And we've tried to answer the question, can I know for sure? The, the answer, of course, is yes. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But that belief is a life-changing belief, right? Amen. It's like hitting a locomotive head on. It's going to change your life. And so that's my desire today. First of all, I want you to know the peace of God. I want you to 
know that there's nothing that can come between you and separate you from the love of Christ. That's another verse in Romans, right? Nothing can separate, separate us from the love of Christ. And I want you to have that peace. But I also want you to think ahead of time. What is it going to take me to persevere the rest of my life? How do I need to prepare for that? Is, is the way I'm living now preparing me in any way for persevering for the rest of my life? Or do I make, need to make some changes? I, th I think it's safe to say for most of us, we need to make some changes if we're going to persevere the rest of our life. And I believe that is God's desire for us. Father, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you for each and every person here and they've listened so intently and, and I appreciate that. And I pray that you would help us uh, as individuals, as a church, to see the importance of persevering through this life, even in the midst of difficulty. There are people persevering right now in all parts of the world where it's very difficult for them, probably very dangerous, and maybe even uh, losing their life as a result of being persevering. So we pray that you would help us to examine ourselves and, and to be at peace with ourselves, knowing that we are saved, but also helping us to prepare for the long haul and, and to be there uh, with you when we um, finally die and go to be with you. Father, we pray that you would empower us and we pray that you would help us today to make decisions based upon how the Holy Spirit and your word are leading us today. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.